0: Hey, good morning. How are you guys? It's so good to be here. Thank you, man. Um, Um, I count it such an honor and joy to get to to fill in for Matt, who I consider my closest friend, known him for years. We have tons of memories together. In fact, Matt actually uh, literally saved my life at one point when we lived in Vanuatu. Uh, There's not only serpents and other interesting creatures that we dealt with, um, but malaria was like the worst thing that we faced, and I got this weird form of malaria that can actually kill you. And I was probably pretty close to that happening, and Matt's like, we're going to take you to the hospital. And had he not done that, I probably would be in a sanctuary that's even more beautiful than this. But it's so good to be here. Uh, Matt's not only a good friend, but you guys know this. He's an amazing pastor, an amazing leader. And I've just been so uh, encouraged. And uh, yeah, just watching how he has navigated this church through these difficult times the last few years, and uh, the, the heart of Jesus that just emanates from him. He's the real deal. And so I, yeah, an amazing teacher, as you guys know. So I count of a huge honor to be here today. And uh, Matt asked if I would come and, and share a little bit about uh, the topic of, of my new book. So the new book's called Your Longing Has a Name. And, and some of you who, who know our journey and our experience, uh, we started a nonprofit about a year ago called Pursuing Faith. And the whole point of the ministry is to help people who are wrestling with their faith or deconstructing their faith or doubting their faith. And so I wrote a book on doubt a few years ago. This latest one is on faith, and it's about how our soul can flourish and what the Bible says about the health of the soul, the restoration of the soul. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 23. If you have a Bible, if you want to grab it and turn with me to Psalm 23. And I love that we just sang that song about God's goodness chasing after us. Uh, because that's what David says here in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. By the way, the word follow there literally means to pursue. Um, There was an 18th century poet. His name was Francis Thompson, and he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. Uh, Some of you have heard of this. Uh, It's worth looking up if, if you haven't read it, and he describes how God pursues us, how God chases us, and that is a huge part of understanding how our soul can come alive, how our soul can be healed in difficult times. So we're going to unpack this today, Psalm 23. And one of the reasons I, I want to talk about the health of the soul is because we're living in a moment where people's souls are languishing, they're, they're hurting. Uh, Thomas More, uh, the great spiritual writer, he said that the, the modern age malady is loss of soul. People are struggling, they're hurting, they're wrestling with stuff. Uh, The last few years has been uh, tremendously difficult for many, many people. Uh, losing loved ones. I, in our family, we lost a couple family members over the last few years, and you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and sometimes it can just leave your soul beaten up and bruised. And you look at what's happened relationally and politically in our nation over this last season, and how it's been tearing people apart, what's, what's happening geopolitically. And if ever there's a time for us to talk about how to have faith in hard times, how to have a healthy soul in hard times, it is now. So Psalm 23 gives us a beautiful, beautiful paradigm for this. So let's dig in, beginning in verse 1. Here it is. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And here's the line. He restores my soul. On the count of three, let's say that together. He restores my soul. One, two, three. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Oil in the Bible, as you know, is a picture of The Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, he says, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness, we just sang it, and love will follow me. Chase me down, hound of heaven, all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God's people said, amen. "Amen." Psalm 23 is one of the most, if not the most, Powerful, well-known psalms, certainly in Christian circles, but I would actually argue in culture at large, uh, that this is a very recognizable psalm. You see it in art, music, movies, poetry, songs, Jay-Z. Like you just it- it's all over the place, right? Think of how many movies we've all seen where someone gets shot by the mafia or whatever. And the very next scene, there's a group of people huddled at a cemetery. And inevitably, the way Hollywood portrays it, Psalm 23 is being read. Because this is a psalm that culture has associated with death, dying, and funerals. And yet what's so fascinating, and I find ironic, is that this psalm actually wasn't written to describe death. But rather, it was used to describe flourishing. You know, Jesus, he said that if you believe in me, out of your innermost being will gush forth torrents of living water. It's the abundant life. It's when our soul is healed and restored. And you see these these words that David uses that describe what it looks like to have a healthy soul. He's painting a picture. He talks about green pastures, quiet waters, the right Paths, And then he says, even though I go through darkest valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, and in many ways, life is a valley of the shadow of death. And yet even in that space, he says, I'm not going to fear because you're with me. And you've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. After this message, we're going to come to the table. We're going to take communion, a feast that's fit for a king. Goodness and love follow me. I'll dwell in the house of God forever. You see, these aren't words of death or tragedy. These are words of life and flourishing and hope. God is my shepherd. And verse 3, he restores my soul soul? What is a soul? How would you define soul? How do you understand soul? If we were to go out in the streets of Grants Pass after this and just begin to talk to some random people and ask them, what is a soul? I think the answer that most people would probably give, and and it's the culturally assumed position, is that soul is the invisible part of your body that keeps living when your physical body dies. We kind of have this nebulous, ethereal, view of the human soul, or if you saw the movie that came out, I think last year, that Pixar film called Soul, and it shows that when the body dies, these kind of two-dimensional neon lines escape and go up to this strange, shadowy existence, which, by the way, a lot of that comes from Plato, and it's like we have this dualistic idea of soul, that soul is different somehow from your thoughts, your heart, your mind, your emotions, your physicality, And that soul is just some nebulous, hard-to-quantify part of your life that keeps living when your physical breath no longer lives. You think of that old Victorian poem that parents used to pray over their kids at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Which is kind of messed up to pray over your kids at night. (laughs) You might die. Good luck. Maybe we'll see you in the morning, right? We wonder why our kids need therapy. So we have this perception of the word soul, other people, they, they use it in different genres. Like, look at how we use it in language. If someone's a good person, he's a good soul, or she's my soulmate, or a genre of music, rap, or hip-hop, or, or soul, or really good food. Someone told me the other day that in and out was their soul burger, and we became instant friends. Right? So we use this word all over the map. And yet what's so fascinating is that in the Bible, when you look at this word soul, it's much more than just a genre or even much more than just the invisible part of you, whatever that means. Soul actually encompasses the entirety of who you are, your identity. In fact, in the Old Testament alone, the word soul is found 700 times. And it's this Hebrew word, nefesh. Uh, let me hear you say nefesh. Yeah. Nefesh is translated as life, self, person, desire, appetite, emotion, passion. You're like, that clears it up. Well, what the Bible teaches us is that soul is the entirety of who you are. It's the deepest part of you that shapes you, that, that influences you. And you see, the fact that you have a soul that encompasses physicality, encompasses your spiritual life, encompasses your thought life, the fact that you have a soul is that which distinguishes us from the rest of the animal world. Or you look outside, what an amazing sanctuary. What an amazing view. It's one of the reasons I love getting to teach here, because I know no matter how bad the sermon is, everyone is still going to be happy, because you have this incredible view. And yet a tree or a mountain doesn't have a soul. Or you look at the difference between dogs and, and cats. The way a dog thinks, we have a golden doodle. They're amazing. The, the planet needs more golden doodles. The way a dog thinks is, wow, my, my owners, they love me. They, they, they feed me. They take care of me. They must be gods. A cat, on the other hand, thinks... <laughs> my owners love me they feed me they take care of me I must be a God so the difference is one has a soul and the other doesn't um, <laughs> So we all have souls. It's, it's what God gave to us. Your, your, your soul is the deepest part of you that longs to know him. It's what David described, not only in Psalm 23, but Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you, my soul, my nephesh, thirsts for you, it longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I would argue that 2022 and this season that we're in globally is a dry and weary land. And we need ways for our souls to heal. We need ways for our souls to flourish and come alive. Because there is a lot in the air right now. There's a lot in the water that is waging war against our soul. Matt mentioned Vanuatu, and I remember a time when we lived there. Everyone at this, this mission base, this school, was getting sick. And our stomachs were just all messed up. There was a line for our little bamboo outhouse. And day after day, this wore on, we're feeling dreadful. And, and then I thought about a week into it, I'm like, maybe I should check our water supply there's no running water there. So what we did is we had a water catchment because it's tropical, tons of rain. We had this tin corrugated roof. It would catch the water and flow into this, this huge container. I'm like, I should go look inside our, our water source and see what's going on. And I, I open it up and I'll never forget this image as long as I live. But there was a massive abnormally sized gecko Uh, Probably three or four times his normal size. And every time I tell the story, it gets bigger and bigger. But not to gross you out, but here goes. There were pieces of gecko floating around in our water supply. And I knew in that moment why we were all sick. We had been living off gecko soup. You see, if there's something in the water... If, there, if there's something in our soul that's not right, it's going to affect everything. The the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, he talked about this, how sin grows every moment we don't expose it and deal with it. And this is why over and over again we see in Scripture this invitation to deal with the health of our soul. How can our soul flourish? How can our soul be healthy in difficult times, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, in the midst of our toxic political society? How can our soul flourish in the midst of relational breakdown? How can our soul flourish when we're facing our own inner demons? What does that look like to heal? Because Jesus, he, he again talked about this. In the book of Mark, he said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or here's another verse if you want to jot it down, 3 John chapter 1 verse 2. And this actually became the verse that inspired me to write the book because John is casting a vision for our soul that's so beautiful and so compelling. He says, "I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers." Now when we read the word prosper, Uh, For many people, we have these negative connotations because we think maybe prosperity preachers with big hair and shiny teeth and if you give to my ministry, you'll drive a Tesla or whatever. That's not what John is talking about. The word here is flourish. Say, I I'm praying that your soul would flourish. It's why Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he said, may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus. And then in 1 Peter 2, 11, he said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. The geckos in the water, why? They wage war against your soul. I think if ever there's a verse that really encapsulates the ethos of this moment that we're in, it's this one. We are in a time where the enemy is working overtime to wage war on our souls. Because he knows our soul is everything. If our soul is healthy, then nothing you go through can break you. But if your soul is broken, then nothing you go through can heal you. The health of your soul shapes the outcome of your life. And you look at this, the state of our nation, you look at people's emotional well-being, you look at the health of their souls right now, and, and it's broken. It's incredibly, incredibly sad. In fact, recent polls Uh, This has all come out in the last few months, you know, post-pandemic, and now people are beginning to get an assessment of what all of this has meant, and some of the political responses, and how how people have languished, and hurt, and struggled, and grieved in this time. And what they're finding now is that, as a nation, we're worse off in our souls than ever before. Do you know, according to Pew Research, they said 75% of Americans feel overwhelmed by stress, 72% feel exhausted 66 or 68% feel defeated 67% this is so sad feel lonely 51% say they're discouraged and 48% say they're hopeless and what's even more sad about these stats is that so many of them reflects the current crisis That the emerging generation is feeling and sensing more stress than ever before, more anxious than ever before, more depressed than ever before. Our souls are tired. And so many conversations I've had with people over the last couple years. And you get past the surface level, how are you? I'm good. But how are you really doing? I'm exhausted. Maybe you can relate to that. For, for many of us, these aren't just stats on a screen. These are friends, neighbors, coworkers, or maybe it defines and describes your own soul. "I'm tired. I'm weary. And I'm not just talking about the kind of fatigue that you get from staying up late or binging Netflix or not having enough caramel macchiatos to jumpstart your day. There is a kind of weariness. There is a kind of soul fatigue that hits you in your gut. That that gnawing, restless ache that tells you something is deeply, deeply wrong. The New York Times, a few months ago, they put out an article, which has since become a TED Talk, and they said, the prevailing ethos of our age is languishing. We're languishing as a nation. We're languishing in our relationships. We're languishing in our soul. The word languish, it's a word we don't hear very often, but it has this sense of longing, of hopelessness, of stuckness. Languishing is that, that sense of you're, you're looking for an answer. You're looking for something or someone to connect to, but it's not happening. Your soul is weary. Your soul has lost its center. So here's the question. For our sake but for the healing of the world, how do we in this moment of soul fatigue develop a soul that is healthy? What does it look like for us in the words of David to have a restored soul? Because again, if your soul is flourishing, if your soul is healthy, then nothing you go through can break, break you. The health of your soul shapes the outcome of your life. But Lord, what does that look like? How, how can we have a restored soul? That is what I want to talk about with you guys for the next three and a half hours. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> no, what, what I do in the book is... I I take a journey to 2 Peter chapter 1 because in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter lays out for us seven gifts for a flourishing soul. And he knew a thing or two about languish. He knew a thing or two about fatigue and burnout. And yet Peter, as an old man in a prison cell takes pen to scroll, and he talks about the health of our soul, and he says, add these things to your faith. He he says we're to add goodness, and knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, mutual affection, or friendship, and love. And those seven Words, they're, they're not just duties to perform, but they're gifts to receive. It's almost a liturgy for a weary soul that's intended to heal us and pivot our life back towards its center in the life of God. But Here's what I want to share with you today, and I I think it's probably the most important thing. It's what Peter leads with in 2 Peter 1, and it's what David is talking about here in Psalm 23. When our souls are tired, when we're fatigued, when we're broken, when we're burning out and discouraged, how can it be restored? Here's how. Restoration of the soul begins with intimacy with God. (laughs) It's what Jesus invited us to in Matthew 11 when he said, Come to me when you're weary, when you're burdened down, and you will find rest for your soul. Okay, it's coming to Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. It's being connected to Jesus. It's, it's intimacy with God. And, and this is what David describes in Psalm 23. It's why I love this psalm, because David is describing the kind of relationship with God that makes our soul come alive. In fact, right out of the gates, we see this intimate language. He says, the Lord, verse 1, is my shepherd. <laughs> now, the word shepherd in Hebrew is the word rah Let me hear you say rah Sounds like a Katy Perry song. You're gonna hear me rah It means protector, provider, or friend. In other words, being a shepherd in the ancient world, if you were a good shepherd, it wasn't just like a nine to five job where you punch the clock and you're done. No, being a shepherd was an all of life Calling Shepherds ate with the sheep. They spent time with the sheep. At night, they would lay down to protect the sheep, becoming a doorway, literally, to the cave or pen where those sheep were held. The shepherd knew the sheep by name. David here is describing not the God of the 18th century deists the God who wound up the universe like a clock and then just set the universe running while God goes off to Maui on vacation. No, this is the kind of God who is here. He's close. He knows us. He's called us by name. It's what Jesus described in John 10 when he said, I am the good shepherd. And from that place of intimacy, closeness, connection, we then see verse 2 where he says, he brings me or makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the quiet waters. Because sheep often would get confused. (laughs) It's fascinating to me how in the Bible the primary metaphor for humans is sheep. Um, Because sheep aren't necessarily known for being the smartest creatures, right? Um, This was a true story came out a couple years ago from Turkey. There was a pastor, or not a pastor, a shepherd, hopefully not a pastor, a shepherd who had a flock of about 500 sheep. He was sitting under a tree, he was enjoying lunch, fell asleep for a little bit, and one of the sheep decided, oh, I want to walk to the edge of this cliff and jump off, which he did. And the rest of the sheep, what's fascinating, the rest of the sheep followed. So they just all are jumping off this cliff. Now what's really intriguing about the story is only about 200 died out of 500 because the rest had a cushion, right? They had a trampoline. Sheep need help, right? And here David says, Lord, You lead me. The word lead, nahal, it means to take quietly or gently by the hand. A good shepherd would lead his sheep to a quiet place when they're stressed, when they're agitated, when they're confused, and then soothingly talk to that sheep until they settle down. Again, this is language of closeness. Ra'ah, protector, provider, friend, green pastures, Still waters the voice and presence of the shepherd. And then in verse 3, he said, from the place, from the place of intimacy, he says in verse 3, he restores my soul. Now for thousands of years, the way that the rabbis would translate verse 3, we have it, he restores my soul. But they translated it as, he returns my breath to me. And the, re- the reason they did that is because the word nefesh, soul, is closely related to another Hebrew word, nefash. <laughs> so you have nefesh and nefash. Nefash means to take a deep breath. So right now, just take a deep breath. He returns my breath to me. In a moment, in a time, in a culture, a context where we feel winded and discouraged and overwhelmed and grieving and burnt out or people in your life are in that space, people who maybe should be here today but aren't because they're walking through their own valleys, this is what we long for. Lord, return my breath to me. Lord, I'm exhausted, I'm winded. And David is saying, it's from the place of intimacy and closeness and connection with our good shepherd that our soul can breathe again. And as I began to realize this, as I'm studying it over the last few years, like, oh my gosh, that's what I desire. That's what so many people, that's what they're longing for, to have our breath return to us. And it hit me, the very first place you see, the word nephesh, soul, in the Bible is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God created the heavens and the earth. And after making all things, God said three words It is what? Good. Made the sky, it is good. He made the mountains, it is good. He made Grants Pass and the Rogue Valley, and he said, It is very good. He made white cities, like, Ah, it's okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then he creates man, Adam. Probably took one look at him, and he's like, I can do better than that. That's when he made Eve the woman, right? And then Genesis 2:7, the first mention of the word soul, nephesh, in the Bible, it says, God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And he became a living soul. Your soul came to be by the breath of God. A living soul. The word living here literally means to flourish. In the Hebrew, it's this beautiful word picture of a flower that's blossoming with vibrancy and color and life. It's the same kind of language we see in Psalm 1 of the tree planted by the streams of water that brings fruit, or what Jesus spoke of when he promised the rivers of living water, or what we see in the book of Revelation, Eden restored and the leaves of the tree and the fruit of the tree for the healing of all the nations. God's vision for your soul is that your soul would come to life, blossom, bloom, flourish, thrive, the abundant life that Jesus spoke of. And how does the soul come to life? Genesis 2, 7 tells us, well it's Nefesh, Nefash, through the breath of God. The word breath, in Hebrew is the word ruach. It means breath, wind, spirit, In the Greek, in the New Testament, it's pneuma, breath, wind, spirit. Our soul comes to life through the spirit, the presence of God. And David here is describing this. As I follow my shepherd and know my shepherd, as I'm intimate with my shepherd, he brings me to the green pastures and the still waters, and he returns my breath to me. That, brothers and sisters, is what our soul longs for. Richard Foster, he said, don't you feel a tug and a yearning to sink down into the silence and solitude of God? Don't you long for something more? Doesn't every breath crave a deeper, fuller exposure to his presence? That is what our heart resonates with. God, my my soul is weary. God, it's been a crazy few years. We've walked through a ton, and Jesus invites us in our weariness. He says, come to me, and you will find the rest for your soul. Come to me, and you will breathe again. You know, I was here last summer, and I think I may have have told you guys what we were walking through as a family. My wife, Elisa, just about a year ago, she suffered a spontaneous pneumothorax, which is medical speak for... Your lung collapsed, and we don't know why. took her into the doctor because she was having a hard time breathing. They put her on an ambulance immediately. Her lung had completely collapsed. She was actually pretty close to death. For over two weeks, she's in the hospital, several different surgeries. The first couple weren't working. And finally, kind of last-ditch effort, they decide to do this procedure, which honestly is pretty pretty barbaric Um, it looks like a a brillo pad and they they cut you open and they basically kind of scrape up the inside of your chest cavity causes all this trauma internally and then they basically kind of stick the lung onto your chest wall with the hope that when it heals it won't collapse again but the doctor warned us he's telling my wife hey when you wake up from this just so you know it's gonna be pretty painful so I'm sitting there waiting They then bring her back out from surgery. She wakes up, and every breath, literally, my wife is incredibly courageous, every breath was bringing tears to her eyes, and as she's there trying to recover through this process, the doctor then brought in this box that had this tube thingy attached to it, and he said, I want you to breathe into this box several times a day, and then he said this. You're going to take it home. Keep doing this for, for the next few weeks and months. But he said, the deeper you breathe, the more you will heal. And those words have stuck with me over this last year. Because isn't that the invitation of God? The deeper you breathe, the more you will heal. Breathe in my presence. Come to me in your weariness. Bring your burdens before me. I'm your shepherd. Let me bring you to the green pastures and the still waters so that your soul can be restored so that your breath could be returned to you. And here's the good news. When we talk about intimacy with God, when we talk about closeness with our creator, and we talk about Adam receiving his soul through the breath of God, and you think about how close, how intimate that is. Every pastor knows this, that uh, one of the things you always need to have with you on Sunday morning is gum. In fact, right before our first service, Matt came up to me. He's like, hey, do you want three pieces of gum just to carry with you? I don't know if that was like a hint. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, inevitably there's going to be someone you talk to. And, you know, some people like really get close, right? But imagine feeling someone's breath on your face on a regular basis. That's intimate. You're either married or about to be, right? Adam's soul, Eve's soul, came to be through the breath of God and the invitation for us to get close to Jesus, the invitation for us to spend time with our shepherd. It's not a distant, far off place. Intimacy with God begins right now. I think of another shepherd, Moses, who for 40 years was. Hanging out with his sheep. Boring, dry, dusty, barren, wasteland. And yet he's doing this job faithfully. And one day, off in the distance, there's a bush that's burning. He's like, oh, that's different. Let's go check that thing out. And he walks up to it, and the bush talks to him. That's when you know you've been a shepherd too long. Um, And God told Moses, He said, take off your sandals because the place where you stand is what? holy ground. The word holy, by the way, it it just means whole. That's God's heart for us. Wholeness. Uh, in, In Latin, it's this word integer. If you're a mathematics fan, which is like two of you, probably, right? It's a whole number. It's wholeness. It's holiness. It's the presence of God. He says, take off your sandals. Why? Because I don't want anything to get in between you And my holiness, even if it's a sandal, take it off, sink your toes in deep to this ground because the place where you stand is holy. And for Moses, that must have been a shock because again, for him, this was his workplace. What, this is holy? Are you kidding me? It's the desert, boring, dusty, desolate. But what Moses thought was ordinary, God said is holy. Do you realize it's part of the new covenant that every moment is an opportunity for us to sink our toes in deep and breathe in the presence of God? Not, not just here in church and an in, in incredible sense. It's easy to, to understand this is holy ground when you, when you have this view and amazing worship and incredible pastor like, wow, this is holy ground. Yes, but holy ground is also when you get in your car and you're driving to work tomorrow morning. And the presence of God is there. Holy ground is when you wake up first thing, instead of reaching for Twitter or whatever, you open up a psalm and just let it speak to your soul. Holy ground is a good cup of coffee, laughing with your kids, going on a date with your spouse, it's all holy ground. It's the menial things, even the mundane things, washing the dishes, mowing the lawn, walking out of Whole Foods, and you spent $500, but you only have one bag to show for it. It <laughs> is holy ground. And as followers of Jesus The invitation of the spirit of God is sink your toes in deep to my presence. Is your soul weary? Is your soul tired? Has this been a rough few years? Jesus says, come to me and you will find the rest that you're looking for. And as I mentioned earlier, this isn't just for our own sake. This isn't just some introspective thing. How can my soul come alive? The healing of your soul is for the healing of the world. Because so many people we know right now, their souls are weary. Suicide stats, all time high. Depression stats, all time high. Anxiety stats, all time high. This is a malady of the soul. It's like the story of the guy who was in a grocery store and he had a three-year-old son who was just freaking out. (laughs) Screaming, temper tantrums, yelling. And the dad, he was talking out loud. He's like, Billy, You can do this. Billy, we only have a few more minutes to go. Billy, calm down. Billy, settle down. He's talking like this the whole time and finally gets to the cashier, checks out, walking out into the parking lot, and the cashier follows him. He's like, sir, I I just have to tell you, I'm a parent too, and the the way you handled this situation, the way you talked to your son Billy, the way you talked Billy off the edge, that was absolutely incredible. And, and, And the daddy looked at the cashier, he said, I don't think you understand. I'm Billy. (laughs) He's talking to himself the whole time. And I know that probably a good percentage of us, in some way, whether it's parenting or life, it's like, yeah, I'm Billy. Hasn't the last few years felt like that? You can do it. Just get through it. It's okay, right? And Jesus invites us in our brokenness, our billiness, our hurt, our languish. And he says, come be restored, be healed, sink your toes in deep because the ground that you walk on your relationships, your jobs, this moment, everything, all of it is an opportunity to breathe in the presence of God, to let him anoint us with his spirit so that our cup can overflow, so that our soul can be healed for the healing of the world. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off. His shoes. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray especially for those who are in a place today where it feels like their souls are fatigued. For those who have walked in here exhausted. Lord, I just pray over them what David wrote in Psalm 23. Would you restore their soul? Would you breathe on us even now your spirit? Anoint us with oil. May our cup, Lord, overflow. Lord, bring us to green pastures this week and still waters, that abiding place in your presence where our soul can breathe again. And Lord, would you use us To bring your presence into a world, in a moment, in a time where people are confused and discouraged and lonely. Lord, would you show us how we can love them and point them to you, our shepherd. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's church said, Amen. Amen. Amen.